0: Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Disability Competent Care Conversation on Care Coordination with ICS. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 5th, 2019. This podcast features a conversation in collaboration with the independent care system and provided a platform for questions to be answered on how health plans and providers can improve health outcomes for duly eligible participants living with disabilities by addressing gaps in care coordination that often disrupt continuity of care and lead to fragmentation of care. This conversation focused on the key elements of and strategies to improve care coordination.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disability Competent Care Conversation on Care Coordination, brought to you by the Resources for Integrated Care. My name is Jennifer Koo with the Loon Group and I'll be facilitating today's event. We are really excited today to continue testing out a new format for our Resources for Integrated Care events. Today's event will not be in our typical speaker presentation format, but rather a 30-minute conversation with representatives from Independence Care System. who will be answering questions from our audience members on the topic of coordinating care for individuals living with disabilities. So we are honored today to have representatives from Independence Care System, or ICS, as our experts on today's event to answer your DCC care coordination questions. We have Rachel Sacum and Elaine Castelluccio. So Rachel and Elaine, I'll turn it over to you now to introduce yourselves and provide a little bit of background on ICS.
2: Great, thank you, Jennifer. Um, uh, Elaine and I are very happy to be here with everyone. Um, so, just to introduce ourselves, um, as Jennifer said, my name is Rachel. I am a nurse pac- practitioner by background. Um, I have been with ICS for about ni- 19 years, um, and I oversee clinical programs and population health.
3: And my name is Elaine Castelluccio. I am a physical therapist by background, um, and I am the director of our disability program here at ICS.
2: So uh, what is ICS? <laughs> so since our inception, um, ICS was created to really um, help people that are living with a physical disability. Um, and what we aim to do is to improve our members, uh, that is what we call the people we work with, our members' health, um, they're to make sure they are maintaining or improving their mobility. Um, and their ability to be independent in the community. Um, and so that's what we focus on. And the vehicle that we do, we do that through uh, care management services and um, creation of programs uh, to help um, our members uh, stay active and uh, and healthy. And so we began, um, we began as a managed long-term care throughout our when we when we opened our doors in April of two thousand. Uh, we have had a strong partnership with the Department of Health in New York State. Um, we began as a New York State managed long-term care and we have recently transitioned. Um, we are now the first health home uh, that is um, providing specialized care for people with disabilities, and we're also a care management organization. so we're partnering with plans. Uh, to care for their members uh, who have physical disabilities. So.
1: Great, thank you, Rachel and Lang. We're really excited to have you on today. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get the question and answer session started. Uh, we did receive several pre-submitted questions um, from our audience members, so we'll start with those questions. But we do encourage our audience members uh, to sp- submit any additional questions that you might have via the Q&A feature on the platform. Okay, so our first pre-submitted question that everyone should be seeing on the screen is, what core competencies do care coordinators at ICS have? How are their competencies measured? And what training is provided to develop staff who have little or no experience providing services and care to people living with disabilities?
3: Okay, so um, when we're talking about core competencies, one of the first core competencies that we probably is, is best to start off with is very basic, which is our disability sensitivity awareness. And that can encompass and should encompass things including disability etiquette when communicating and engaging with somebody who has a disability. We also have a high level review of, of structural barriers in the physical environment in many areas areas of somebody's life, whether it's within their own home, their community. and and any other medical provider or wherever they may need to um, be aware of what those structural barriers and how that can impact people accessing things within their own community and living environment. And included in this sensitivity awareness is also the idea of doing myth busters for people who have very little to no experience with physical disabilities. We wanna make sure that they're aware of things such as people who have goals at a similar age without physical disabilities, people with physical disabilities have those similar goals. For example, they, may have, they still may have a goal, whether or not they have a disability or not, of marriage, career, being sexually active, and incorporating that into how they're gonna communicate and assess and engage with their members as part of those competencies. One of the things we feel is very important when doing those type of trainings and competencies is to have somebody with a physical disability participate in that training, if not be the primary lead for those trainings. We do these trainings both in person, as well as in an online forum um, on an ongoing basis. We also look to support the staff in regards to communication, and we spend a great deal of time reviewing communication competencies. We do something called a coach approach, which reviews things such as active listening, asking open-ended questions, and reflecting on what that member has said back to you. And of course, part of the competencies that we have expectations for with the staff is looking at an understanding of the common disease and condition-specific processes of somebody with a physical disability. What are those most common medical complications, such as UTIs, urinary tract infections, wounds, respiratory infections? And what are the risk factors that you're going to look for in those disease processes and in those uh, medical complications? followed up by what are then the the standard interventions that we can review with them, train with them, and then have an expectation that they are applying those standard interventions to address those barriers and risks that we just spoke of. We try to incorporate this into orientation and then obviously on an ongoing basis for their yearly performance evaluation. And then more importantly is we use this as a common ground for supervision with the staff and use chart review tools to ensure that it's actually being incorporated into practice.
2: And I just want to piggyback on um, what Elaine just said, because I think Organizations, um, including ours, this, this is what we learned um, by trial and error that you can start with training, but if it's not, if you're not assessing that it's integrated into practice, you're doing yourself a disservice. So, training is one intervention to competency, but really ensuring that it's integrated into your practice, into your evaluations, into your policies and procedures, and that you're assessing that on a regular basis. Um, It's very important.
1: Great, thank you, Elaine and Rachel. All right, the second question that we received is, what suggestions do you have for when there are no interdisciplinary teams or liaisons to support participants as they move between care settings?
3: Thank you, so when we talk about this, one of the things we we would like to do is try and help and support and facilitate the members themselves to be their own liaison and to give them a sense of empowerment if they have the capacity to do that. Um, And we would support them, our ICS staff here will be able to offer various resources and supports in order to be that point person. And while that's occurring, we as ourselves, the social workers, um, we would be there to be that liaison as they're moving through the various healthcare settings. We do have staff here who can, even in the beginning, when they may not have that capacity, that skill, or ability to transition from appointments to follow up with what's being recommended, we would have staff that can go on, go with them, and attend with them and escort them to follow up appointments. Whether that be something called an, um, an independent living associate, which is promoting the independent living theory of empowerment and self-direction skills to be independent within the community. We may have community health workers join them on a medical appointment and all the while, they're working with the member directly to assist and facilitate that member to communicate their own needs, have their questions answered and understand whatever follow-ups may be the outcome of those various appointments. And with that independent living associate who is somebody who's living with a physical disability and has been successful and being their own navigator, that person can work side by side with that member to show them self-direction skills, advocacy skills, and practice really how to be assertive for one's needs without being aggressive and being clear and being able to communicate what matters most to them. And that's really providing them ultimately with self-management support to try and get them to that point where they, like I said, they could be their own liaison. Next slide.
1: Great. Great. So our next question is, how can care coordinators best work with providers and community-based organizations to create the working structure needed to make discovery of health-related programs accessible to people living with disabilities?
2: Um, So, at ICS, and Aline talked a little bit about this, about the coach approach that we use here. It's really important that we begin by creating a culture of listening, um, trying to understand what's going on with with someone living with a disability, and then responding. Um, And in the disability community, we'll often hear the phrase, nothing about me without me. Um, and so, if you're trying to um, to help people improve their health and to make it accessible for someone living with a disability, it's really important that we're hearing directly from them. Where are the unmet needs? So at ICS, where we've heard that was, you know, um, I think it's around a third, a half of our population, around a half um, are wheelchair users. And what we heard from them was that they didn't have access to wheelchair repairs, right? So at ICS, we started a wheelchair repair clinic. And to Elaine's um, point about the, you know, em- empowering someone to learn how to um, care for themselves, we ha- have people there that can show them how to care for their own wheelchair and maybe make simple repairs. We also knew that when a wheelchair was broken that they needed a backup because that is someone's legs. So it's really, I use that as an example to know that we found an unmet health need and then we figured out, okay, well how can we address that? Um, The other thing is to look at where are your partners in the community? So are there people out there with resources to meet those unmet needs? Um, where there is inaccessibility to address them, um, and uh, and if you know, then we link, then we coordinate. And if there aren't, maybe we can share the cost of creating a program, um, which you know we're all we're all very conscious of our dollars, right? And how do we maximize um, the return on investment? And if you can find those organizations with similar missions, um, then partnering together. Um, has been very beneficial. Um, You also, I I can't understate this enough, is to have a network of providers that understand this population. Um, And so we work with um, many different uh, resources in the community, Uh, so for instance, the MS Society or Mount Sinai Hospital um, that has both an MS center and a spinal cord injury center to look at ways of partnering together um, to make health uh, programs accessible. Um, And then we also work with, um, Elaine talked about independent living um, models and organizations that are out there as well. So it's really about Um, understanding, talking to your population, talking to the people you're trying to serve, coming together with a plan, and then making sure that you're circling back to see how successful you are because um, we always have to tweak, right? (laughs) And to do that on a continuous basis. Next slide. Great,
1: thanks Rachel. All right, so um, another pre-submitted question we received is people who are living with physical disabilities are at higher risk than people who are not living with physical disabilities for behavioral health conditions or substance use. What can care coordinators and providers, including medical and behavioral health providers, do to be more effective in working with people who are living with these co-occurring conditions?
3: So one of the approaches that we have... Um, found and, and have been recently utilizing in the last couple of years, and has been proven to be effective is something called motivational interviewing, which many of you on the phone may have heard of um, or even have put into practice. And motivational interviewing was originally um, developed and put into use for folks that do have substance abuse or chemical abuse, and has now grown in population for for people who are just looking to change into some sort of positive, make some positive change within their lives. And there's kind of a common theme you're gonna hear throughout our our answering of the next several questions is that it really comes down to understanding what motivates and what matters most to the member. You'll hear us say this a couple of times in, in a few slides. And what is really impacting their life? And based on what's impacting their life, what change are they willing to make? Because there has to be buy-in from the member in order to even try to do some coordination, certainly with a member as complex as what has been asked in this question of of somebody who has various medical co-conditions or behavioral co-conditions compounding um, altogether. So in in using motivational, we're trying to get to the the root cause of why these behaviors are, are getting in the way, are a barrier for whatever change needs to occur. So one thing that we've gotten better at over the years is really asking the why. And um, there's a great article about asking the five whys to get to really the root cause of something. And and trying to ask those questions and engage with the member with motivational interviewing is really um, asking to do that in a non-judgmental way. And to not be offended if someone's angry. And one of the things they said in this um, in-service, in the training for motivational interviewing, which um, struck us uh, was that anger is often the first thing that you'll see, and that people who push you away are generally the people that need you the most. So, if we can keep our assumptions at bay, if we can keep our conversations non judgmental, um, we may have better interaction with these complex cases that we're discussing, and also realizing that there may be things that are playing a role here, like a history of trauma or. Um, A substance abuse, we make an assumption that there might be substance abuse. Well, they're actually, for people with physical disabilities, could be that they're using substances to treat a a medical condition, especially with the the popularity and the evidence showing that um, what could be the medical benefits of marijuana. For example, a lot of our members um, are on medical marijuana for the use of spasticity or muscle spasm management. And again, just as Rachel said in the slide earlier, the importance of linking this member to a provider that really understands disability. If they have a lot of behavioral health issues and um, have some barriers already, if we send them to a provider that we haven't vetted and we haven't partnered with and that we know understands physical disabilities, that appointment um, is less likely to be as successful as if we sent somebody who is a, a medical provider who really gets what they're going through and understands their experience. This is another situation for those, these complex cases where we can look to an independent living associate or program to really help uh, with the guidance and show a positive spirit uh, of, of a similar lived experience where the end result is, again, we wanna go back to that self-management support and shared decision-making. Next slide.
1: Great, thanks, Elaine. All right, so next up, what are some effective strategies for sharing information among interdisciplinary teams, including care coordinators and healthcare providers? Are there examples of tools to support this?
2: So I think this is a great question and certainly um, one of the challenges that we face. Uh, Where we have been most successful in doing this, it is when we in communicating it's really when we establish a relationship um, and remembering you know it's just it's just like how we interact um, with our friends and our family right the more that if you're comfortable with one another if you know one another things are going to move along much much more quickly um, and so we have really seen um, that the power of a face-to-face <laughs> meeting, someone um, talking to them in person, can can really make a big difference. Um, you know, so we encourage um, staff to go on visits. Uh, we know you cannot do this for everyone, um, but really thinking about where are those critical points in time, um, and can we can we go along? And so we have. Um, several boots on the ground staff here that will go out um, and join people on appointments um, to really talk about what's going on and what the next step should be. Um, We've also uh, put a care manager in a clinic um, once a week or or less frequently or more frequently depending on the volume of members that go there. Um, So we right now have Two partnerships, for example, with MS centers where they have a high volume, uh, sorry, multiple sclerosis centers. We use acronyms way too much in medicine, and healthcare. Um, so where we have a high volume of our members and so we have a social work on site there to support them. Um, and it's really facilitated um, the, the care for those people, Um, meaning if they need, so many times, right, you come in for an appointment and people get a list of next steps that can often be overwhelming um, and difficult to manage. So if we can get in there and then put a plan together for the next three months, so when they come back, they've actually been able to do those steps, it's made a huge difference. And not just for the member, but for the provider. Um, Because you really, the more that we have shown that we we can deliver, um, it creates buy-in and it fosters a relationship. The other thing with pro- providers is that people are really busy um, and so these MS clinics that we're in, you know, this is a, a progressive neurologic disease and the neurologist is booked, double booked every 20 minutes and so time is of the essence. So how how can we make sure, make that conversation worthwhile? Um, And so establishing communication preferences, if we're not face-to-face, how would you like to receive information? Email, do you want to use the phone? Do you want to talk? Is there someone in your office who should be our contact? Um, And we also utilize communication tools like SBAR, right? So it's very concise. What's the situation? What's the background that's pertinent to that situation? What's your assessment? Um, and what are recommendations? If any, sometimes you're like, I, I really need you to make the recommendations here. So we have, we have um, been successful when we've created a relationship and we, we're, part, we're partners, truly, um, in moving forward to try to help our members. Next slide.
1: All right, so our next question comes from a health plan. Could you describe best practices for coordinating between multiple agencies and stakeholders involved in care? We want to make sure our participants' care needs are met, the services aren't duplicated.
2: Yeah. That's a great question. I feel um, like we live in a day where there's many different organizations in um, trying to provide care management. I call it care management-itis. you know, one of our colleagues tells a story about her mother-in-law who was in the hospital, and three different care managers walk in—one from a Medicare plan, one from Medicaid plan, and one from the hospital. Because everyone wants to help someone, but think from the member perspective, that can be quite overwhelming. Um, so I think when you're you have different providers in to really set up some time to talk about the member's care. Uh, at ICS, we create a new plan of care every six months. Um, ideally, you want to do this with the member and the providers. Um, sometimes time doesn't allow that, so doing prep work, uh, just like that question that uh, Elaine answered, if you can't have someone there, right? You wanna coach them before, you wanna to talk to them before and then loop back after to see how it went. So we wanna do that here too. Um, we wanna to review the goals and how we think we're going to meet them. We wanna be really specific in identifying who's doing what and when. Um, and we wanna to play to each other's strengths, skills and, and expertise. Um, because we don't want to take on everything as care management when someone, this is what someone does every day and they can do it in five minutes and they can take take us hours. Um, So we want to create that plan of care um, and we want to, uh, together, um, and then we want to update it regularly, right? So we talk about SMART goals here. I'm sure many of you have heard this, right? What are achievable goals and interventions we can do? Who's doing what? who's doing it when, um, and we want to give that to the member, right? And it, it should always be member-focused. What matters to them, and it should be aligned with that, and that's why we really want the member to be present when we do this, because we're, we're ultimately here to support them. Um, and then at ICS, I think it's really important that you have one quarterback, and so that's uh, here, the the care navigator, um, and that they are responsible for the overall care coordination. So did everyone do with the providers, the organizations, um, circling back, right? How is it going? Were you able to do what you needed to do, um, and then, Closing the loop and saying, okay, because we wish every plan that we put in place went together perfectly, but often we have to readjust. And so circling back, readjusting, and then making sure everyone's in alignment and updating that plan of care.
1: Great. So our next question is uh, another one from a health plan. Are there resources that are available for health plans to better support participants living with disabilities?
3: Okay. So... What we have found works best is really working closely with the resources that are within our own neighborhood and and really looking at the local disability organizations and, and working closely with them where we can consider them partners in care. For example, we work very closely with the New York City chapter of the National Multiple Sclerosis Society and we also work with New York Spinal, which is a New York chapter of the national organization called United Spinal. And in working with our local chapters, we can support each other. We can look to what resources those local chapters can um, assist our members with and refer to their services and vice versa, they can look to what ICS has and serve as a resource for their membership and and for the folks that they serve. Um, many of those organizations as well, we've taken advantage of some of the trainings that they offer for for both professional staff as well as the members that we serve. And um, so in coming together, it kind of answers to that previous question about duplication of services as well. And we can serve as together with our community neighbors as a resource for care coordination for people with physical disabilities. Looking at our local independent living centers and especially if there's Mount Sinai is a spinal cord center of excellence. The various MS centers or multiple sclerosis centers that are in New York City, and working closely with them to provide better care coordination and utilizing each other as a resource. And then, for, for example, I, you, we, we can go nationally. For example, we're partners and a member of the National Disability of Mentoring Coalition, which gives us the opportunity to look at what grants are out there, what educational opportunities are out there, and, and additional training services that we could take advantage of.
2: So. So just to piggyback on that, so if people are listening and they're not in the New York City area, go to those national websites and they will show you where the local local chapters are, the local organizations.
1: All right. I know we're running short on time, but I'm going to squeeze in one last question okay. I think it's a really good one. So it's okay. so the one that's on the screen. Uh, as a substance use disorder counselor, we're tasked with addressing sleep, diet, exercise, and meditation management, including pain management. What are potential gaps in care coordination to look for when counseling a participant who's living with a disability?
2: So that is an excellent question. I'm glad we got to discuss it um, because the, the gaps are real, really often the barriers that people with disabilities are facing when they're trying to stay healthy. And as a care coordinator, you need to have a level of awareness of those barriers and their risk factors and how to prevent or address them. Um, so as I said before, you need, a, you need to be able to develop and maintain a specialized network that can meet their, those health needs. So for example, in order for people to exercise, if they're in a wheelchair, they need an adaptable gym. Um, if someone needs to get a GYN exam, they need, to, they need a table that they can transfer onto and that has syrups that are adjustable. Um, and you need to keep their level of functioning in, always in the forefront of your mind, right? Does this work with where their abilities are? Um, and then when things arise, we need to respond quickly, right? So for instance, uh, Elaine said urinary tract infection. Yes, that's one of our most frequent reasons of hospitalizations, because what happens is that someone goes for, UT, you know, a neurogenic bladder can often happen with people with a spinal cord involvement. A condition, so they get frequent UTIs. They're, they have resistance. So if they don't do a urine culture, if a clinician doesn't do a urine culture, they're going to become septic, right? If they put them on that regular standard UTI medication. So really understanding the disability and then looking at where, okay, what are the best practices and integrating them into your, into your organization. Unfortunately, the reality is there aren't enough providers. Um, and care coordinators that understand these things. Um, so we're glad, you know, that's why we're happy to be here with you today and, and that resources for integrated care are, are helping spread the word.
1: Great, all right, so unfortunately we are out of time, but I'm happy we we're able to get that last question in. I did want to quickly mention that the remainder of the slides in this deck, so slides 17, 18, 19, do list some additional resources on um, some from ICS, Um, the CMS Office of Minority Health, and also resources on this topic that are available on the RIC website. Um, We did want to – I first want to say a big thank you to Rachel and Elaine. Um, This, I think, was such an informative webinar. We really appreciate your expertise that you brought today to answering all of the uh, questions that were submitted.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office – at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality healthcare that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated and coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about the current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.